0: Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Uh, Scriptures, and um, we'll concentrate on that. But um, I just wanted to say that, hey, we're in in a series that we started last week called Finding Freedom. And if you didn't get to hear the series last week, I just encourage you to go and listen to one of our podcasts at one of our three campuses, or you can um, go on YouTube and look for lakeshorecf.com and watch our um, online video. But it's so important that you get to watch that because last week we laid a foundation um, for all of us to understand that believers... Can be in bondage because we want you to find freedom. But believers can be in bondage because one of the things, points that we brought out last week demons are real. Now, we say all this, I, I, it's not to bring any kind of fear, any kind of like stress or, or anything like that, right? But rather, it's just for us to be aware. Because like we said last week, sometimes you get those people who say, well, you know what? They're not really real. They were back in Bible times, and so they don't really exist. And then you get the other people who say they're under a rock, right? Every little detail, every little thing. Man, that must be a demon or a Satan involved somehow, some way. And so, oh my gosh, you know, we just got to do this. But we talked about, hey, we got to find the middle of the road right? Because we got to be able to look at it and say, just because, you know, it happened in, in, in Bible times when Jesus was around, right? It still happens today. We don't experience probably it that much, but you go to an, another country and you find all kinds of things. I mean, you see reports, you see, um, you know, if you kind of even look at, at YouTube channels where you can see where, man, there, there's been these, these um, unclean spirits, that have been on people's lives, and then you see, you know, believers praying and and casting these things out. So it's not, like we said, not to scare anyone, because we also found out last week that Jesus has given us all authority, right? So if Jesus had the ability, then he gave it to us as well, because as we pointed out last week, we had the 12 disciples go out, then he sent the 70 disciples out, and what did they come back saying? Even the demons are subject to us, right? And that word subject means that they come in an alignment to what is commanded of them, right? So when the the, the, uh, disciples were like, hey, in Jesus' name, man, they had to fall right in line because of the power of Jesus' name. That means every single one of us have his name. Isn't that cool? That's exciting. If we're a believer then we have authority given to us by Christ in his name to be able to to look at these situations and to be able to go for it, right? To be able to say, okay, even in our own lives, right? Now, we might not say, hey, wait a minute. What do you mean by that, right? My head doesn't spin. My eyes don't go crazy, right? I don't foam at the mouth, all that stuff. But you know what? We open doors in our lives sometimes to allow the enemy to come in, And take a seat and then control or push agendas in our life that sometimes, you know what, we say are weaknesses. Well, I have a weakness towards anger. I have a weakness towards envy or uh, I have a weakness towards lust or I have a, a weakness towards addiction. Well, if you really look at it, if you're in Christ, then you know what? We should be able to walk free of those things. Those things shouldn't be bound to us. They shouldn't be tied to us. So if we look at it then, then there is some kind of interference going on that we have either attached ourselves to or allowed ourselves to be attached to because we know it's not right. We know it's ungodly. We know it's not holy, yet we have this compulsive behavior to keep running back to it right? Almost like, now this is kind of a crude example, but almost like, you know, a dog on a collar, right? We have it and we put it on a, a, a leash and when the dog wants to kind of go its own direction, what happens? We pull it back and say, hey, you know, I got one of those hyper dogs because we don't walk the dog that much, right? Um, don't, don't call the humane society on me. But we, we, we love the dog. We, we care for the dog. It eats, all that stuff. But we just don't take it on walks. But when we do take it on walks, you, you talk about a guy who's been set free. Like he thinks he can just do whatever. And he, I mean, you're literally, you know, holding back and everything. But he wants to go and he wants to, to do, a, you know, what do you to do. Well, sometimes I look at it in that perspective because when, when Christ is in our life, man, we want to go, we want to do things for the kingdom of God. We, we have this, this, this calling or this, this thing that God's put in our life that, man, I want to be this better person. I want to be this. I want to be that for the kingdom. Yet sometimes in our life, we've allowed things to where the enemy has that leash. And so we're thinking now we're going to go forward it's gonna be great. Ah! and the next thing you know, we're caught in some kind of bondage, some kind of sin, some kind of thing that we just look at and go, man, why do I keep doing that? Well, oftentimes it's because we've allowed the enemy, right? His workers to come into our life very subtly and to begin to kind of pull us and, and, and navigate our life. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And so it's important, though, for us to realize that we have bondages, right? Now, you might say, well, no, I'm clean, Pastor Scott. Then praise God. That's awesome. But there are still some in the body of Christ that don't realize that they are bound. And and you might have come across them. You might talk to them. You know, they're believers. They got Jesus in their life. But there are still things in their life that they hold on to that are sin, that are things that they just keep going back to. And, and you're trying to, hey, pray about it. Let's pray about it. Let's, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe with you. And then they, you know, call you again and say, yeah, or you hear about them again. And it's like they went right back into what they were doing before they got saved. And so we have to understand that, that, that we can, right, we can be in bondage. But also what we have to recognize, too, is, right, just because we're in bondage doesn't mean we're owned by the enemy. He doesn't own us. Because we have Christ in us, right? Christ is the one who owns us. God owns us. So we just have to recognize though that, you know, we've got to look at this because Jesus wants us to be free. Not only does he want us to be free, he wants us to stay free, right? He wants us to, to be all that he has in his heart for us to be for the kingdom of God while we're on this earth. He's got plans. Every day you get up, man, God's got a plan for you. He's got some kind of agenda for you. But see, oftentimes we don't think that way. We're not thinking in a big scope. Okay, God, what do you have for me today? Can I be open 24-7 to you so that you can use me for your kingdom? Right? And here's the deal. The enemy will do whatever he can to have you not listen to these messages. He'll pop things up. Oh, I got to go do this. I got to go do that. Oh, man. Oh, you know, it's raining outside. Oh, it's Valentine's Day. I didn't go to the store yet. All these things. He'll do whatever he can because he knows that once you know the truth, right, which we'll find in God's word, once you know the truth, the truth shall set you free, right? Okay. And that truth then exposes the enemy. That truth exposes him. And we said last week that when it exposes him, when a thief is exposed, then you know what? He has to restore seven times more back to the person he stole from. So he, he, man, he didn't want to do that. He wants to keep us in bondage. He wants us to keep us from achieving what God has for us. So our title for today, now don't don't, don't freak out and go, oh man, that's a weird title. But the title today is very simple. It just says, beware of demons. Okay? Beware of demons. Let me pray real quick. Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is in the house today, and that you, Holy Spirit, teach us what we need to know, what is important for us to live a life free from bondage. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, well, this is a kind of a long series that we're going to be in, but I, I just want to give you where we're kind of in the foundational stages, right? But before we get into to some of the texts that we're going to look on, I want you to, to, to at least kind of think about this and, and meditate a little bit on it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be right up here on the screen. It says this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I'm just going to pick one word out for right now. The word vigilant vigilant. Sorry. I, I mess up on words sometimes and my wife corrects me. She, she makes sure I'm on track. Okay. So if I say something and you're like, man, you just said that wrong. Pastor Scott. Just go with me. Just shake your head. Like, amen, brother. I get it. Oh, glory, 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 glory. Come on. Come on. Keep bringing it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. It means to be watchful and not afraid. To be watchful and not afraid. So here Peter is, he's encouraging us not to be afraid of the enemy. Not to be afraid of Satan. Okay? And along with being unafraid. Now listen to this. This is very, very important. Okay? We need to position ourselves to also not be devoured. Think about that. Okay? Because he can only devour those who let him. Right? Because it says, seeking whom he may devour. So are you putting in yourself in position to be devoured by him? Are you opening those doors? Are you, are you opening the windows? Are you, you got these little cracks in your life that you're allowing the enemy to come in. And when you allow him to come in, then he has the opportunity to devour you. But see, you can put yourself in a position to where, you know what? You are incredibly unedible. Incredibly unedible. Unedible. Think about that. Remember that there was that commercial a long time ago, man, I'm dating myself, right? But it was something about the incredible edible egg, right? I don't know why that came, but that just came, right? But you can be unedible. You don't have to have the enemy constantly just boom, boom, boom. There are things in your life that you can uh, take and begin to say, hey, you know what? No, 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 no. I am not going to be that way. How do you do that? Well, one of the key ways is when you know the truth, when you take God's word and you begin to apply it, because it's really easy to, to look at God's word, read God's word, hear God's word, but it's really easy not to do God's word, because then what happens is we end up kind of, ah, well, next time, oh, yeah, I know what he wants me to do this, but, you know, I'm just going to kind of uh, do what I want to do, but see, what we have to do is we got to apply God's word. See, when we start applying it, then we become unedible. Because when the enemy shows up, we're able to look him right in the face and say, you know what? No, I can apply this word right now. I can apply what God says about me and who I am. Very, very key, right? Very key for us to remember that. And so when we apply God's word, then we are, we are helping, as Jesus promised, to be free. To help us to be free. So Acts chapter 13. Okay, Paul is in Antioch and he's preaching this message that, that God has become a man in the person of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He, he's giving salvation to all who believe in him, right? He is the Messiah that they have been looking for uh, for all this time. And then Paul concludes this, this message that he does. Now, this is before verse 40. He concludes this message with this caution for the hearers. And for us as readers, okay, this is, this is what it says. Acts chapter 13, verse 40 through 41. It says, beware, okay? Now that word beware, be cautious, alert to the dangers. Beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. So remember, he's talking to these, these, these people, these Jewish people, and he's expressing to them, hey, this is what... The truth of God's words about. This is who Jesus is. It's truth. You got to be able to apply it. But he says. Lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Verse 41. Behold you despisers. Marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days. A work which you will by no means believe. That though one were to declare it to you. Now verse 40. Again Paul says. Beware therefore. Lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. So what does that mean when he says that? Okay. So he says, this could come upon you. This could come upon us if we don't take heed to the truth. Hear that? If we don't take heed to the truth, if we're just hearers only, but not doers. Right? Taking heed to the truth is doing the word as well. So then he shares... In verse 41, he referenced back to the Old Testament or the Old Testament text of the prophet Habakkuk. Okay. So if you found Habakkuk, if not, we'll put it back up on the board right here for you. But Habakkuk chapter one, verse five. Now look for the similarities because he kind of referencing that back and he's saying, hey, be aware. If you don't apply the truth, there are some things that could happen. So it says, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded for I will work a work in your days which you were not, which you would not believe, though it were told you. Now, verse uh, six carries Habakkuk kind of carries this thought through about the Chaldeans. Okay, now you're going to think, well, what did the Chaldeans have to do with all this? Okay, but the Chaldeans were an Old Testament, Testament enemy of God. They were ones who would come against God's people. And what we want to bring about or talk about a little bit today is the fact that these, the way the Chaldeans came against God's people are very characteristic of the way demons come against God's people. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to kind of tie that together because God gives some very interesting descriptions regarding these, these characters. So it says in verse six, for indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. A bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breath of the earth. Okay? So watch what they're trying to do. To possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Okay? To possess dwelling places that are not there. Now, last week, if you remember, again, I told you, the word possess doesn't mean that it, they take over its ownership. It's the fact that it really, what it means is to gain mastery over. Right? So, like, for an example, when, you know, they call alcohol spirits, right? Okay? So, when a person drinks too much, they're, they're, they've got, they're, they're now intoxicated. They're not sober, right? And so, the alcohol doesn't necessarily take ownership of the man, but the alcohol now is controlling the man or the person. Making wrong decisions, making stupid things, you know, all kinds of stuff. I remember back in my day, I wasn't an angel a long time ago. But I remember back in my day, day, day and I did some pretty dumb things under the influence of that's those alcohol spirits, if you want to call it. I made some dumb decisions, really dumb. But see, it never owned me, but I, I allowed it to come in, right? I allowed it to, to master me in some ways. So the Chaldeans were people who tried to gain control over dwelling places that are not their own, right? Trying to take places that don't belong to them. Same way it is with demons. They are trying to gain control and mastery over people's lives. Okay. Like I said, don't be freaked out. Don't think, oh my gosh, we're talking about demons. Don't think that way. Just it's, it's in order to be aware because we want to get you to the point where if you can recognize, hey, I've got something in my life that's got bondage to me, an unclean spirit, whatever it is, that's got, that got me kind of keeping going back to these old sins, these old habits, these old things, then I need to be set free. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes it's just plain old straight up flesh. But other times it's a spiritual thing. Very much so. Which we don't oftentimes give credit to. To say, hey, you know what? I got some spiritual issues inside of me. I got some things I need to work out. But see, all along, God is right there next to you, and he's wanting to set you free from it. Okay? So, these demons, right? What they're real, and what they try to do is they try to possess a dwelling place that is not their own. That's their goal. So, then Habakkuk kind of flushes out a little more information on the Chaldeans. Again, they represent these demonic spirits that come against you and I as believers. So, let's look at how how God kind of describes them. Okay? And let me give you three reasons why we need to beware of demons. Okay? Not scared. Just aware. The first is, demons are thieves. Demons are thieves. Again, in Habakkuk 1.6. We already read this scripture. I'm going to read it again, though, because it's important. Which marches through the breath of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs, right? When someone takes something that is not there, what do we usually call them? A thief, right? We call them a thief. John 10.10, 10, Jesus basically said that Satan is the thief and he's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, right? That's his, his objective. And one of the things we have to understand is when the Bible talks about Satan, right? It's actually referring to the works of Satan himself, okay? He's not actually on the scene. The only time he was really on the scene per se, well, yeah, in Scripture was when he tempted Jesus. He was on the scene. But see, Jesus was that important for him. He needed to address him one-on-one. But most of the time we give credit to him when it's not really him because he actually has this whole crew of demons working for him. This whole crew, it kind of is just there. But see, here's the deal. Satan is not omnipresent. Okay? Omni means all. Present means present. Hey, right? He's not omnipresent. He can't be, he can only be in one location at one time. Yet God is omnipresent, right? He can be everywhere at any time, at all places, right? I, I, I saw this, um, this, this quick little article in Barna. It says that 51% of Americans right now um, hold to the traditional values of, of who God is. 51%. In 19, what was it? 1991, it was 71%. Man, look how that thing's sliding. But here, this is what even blew me away more. And it says more people believe in Satan, 56%, than they believe in God. What? That just blows my mind. But see, that's the culture we're in. That's the society we're in. Just, just so mind-boggling. So since Satan is not omnipresent, he has this army of demons They are the ones who do his work. Now, let me give you an example of that. In Luke chapter 13, you don't have to turn there. We're just going to kind of just take a little piece of this. In Luke chapter 13, with the woman who had the spirit of infirmity for 18 years, right? In verse 16, if you're following along, but if you're in verse 16, Jesus said, shouldn't this woman be loosed from this infirmity that Satan has bound her with? Okay. Now, it wasn't Satan himself, but it was by way of one of his... Unclean spirits, right? By way of one of his demons. So somehow this demon possessed what was not his own, right? The lady owned herself, but still they came in and possessed. And then what he, they gained access and they stole her health, right? Because demons are thieves. So he stole her health. Now, I'm not going to speculate how that all happened, Right? But do you get the idea? Satan wasn't there himself in the lady's life. No, he had his workers, his crew, whatever you want to call them. They were there and they they find ways to get in to our life sometimes. So, demons should be our enemy, right? They shouldn't be someone we love to hang out with. We shouldn't say, oh man, I, I love this bondage. This is awesome. This is great. When we know it's not something we should have in our life, okay? And so in Psalms 83, we're going to uh, find this prayer, um, and the, the, the writer is actually uh, praying to God, and he wants him to frustrate the plan of the enemy who is strategizing against God's people, right, to destroy him. So this enemy wants to destroy God's people. Psalms 83, 12, will be up there on the board for you. It says, who said, now this is the enemy that's saying it, let us take for ourselves the pastures, okay? What's in the pasture usually? That would reference in the Bible. The sheep. Aren't we the sheep? Yeah, we're the sheep. And it says, let us take for ourselves the pastures of, of God for a what? Possession. The enemy is out to want to take you in possession. He can't take you, your spirit. Because it's already in alignment with God, but what happens is he comes in and he wants to take you as a possession so you don't fulfill, you don't live to the maximum of what God has for you. He constantly wants to hold you down like that chain we were talking about with the dog. You know, he wants to put a stake in the ground, wrap the the, the thing around and let you just kind of go around in a circle all the time. And that's all you can go. When God says, no, my heart for you is wide open. Wide open spaces to, to do the kingdom things that I've called you to do, to be who God's called you to be, to have dreams and visions and to do things for the kingdom. That's what He's called. But see, the enemy wants to possess us. So, in other words, let me just say it this way if you're going after God, they're coming after you. They're coming for you, right? In some way. And this is what they attempt to steal from you. Your purpose, your peace, your joy. They attempt to steal God's word, his promises in your heart. He attempts to steal your kids. They attempt to steal your relationship with your spouses and your family. They attempt to steal your finances, your time, your health. But ultimately, what they want to do is they want to steal and destroy your relationship with God. That's ultimately what they want to do. And if they can do that, then everything else will fall right in line. And so that's why it's so important that we recognize, man, we, we have to be on this. We can't be lazy when it comes to the things of God. We've got to wake up. And say, well, wait a minute, I, I, man, I've got to step in to what God has for me and what God wants to do. But that's going to take me being disciplined, right? To put some things into practice. And, and, and sometimes people say, well, yeah, but you know, Pastor Scott, you know, demons are only after unbelievers. No, they're not. They already got them, right? They already got them. No, he, he's after us in order to destroy the plan that God has. For us, so again, we're going to get kind of kind of back in that Habakkuk thing, but we have to understand. So he's referring to um, the Chaldeans as uh, the devil. It does, I know it doesn't say devil, but it, the Chaldeans are are are, are um, demons because of the way they treat God's people. Uh, Hitchcock's Bible Names Dictionary, if you ever want to look that up, right, defines the word Chaldea, not Chaldeans, but Chaldea as demons. That's what he defined it as. But the root of the word means to lay waste or to destroy. To lay waste or to destroy. And then some others define it as wanderers. Okay? So, you know, they have different th- ideas sometimes. But wanderers. So this is what Jesus said about demons. Now listen to this. This is like really important. It says this in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 43. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man... So that means that unclean spirit was what? In the man or in the person. He goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Remember the word wanderers? So it's out wandering now. It's been, it's been released, it's been cast out. And now it's, it's out wandering, trying to figure out where, where do we go now? What can we take over now that doesn't belong to us? Then it says this in verse 44. Then he says, right? Who's, who says it? the unclean spirit. I will return to my house. What is he talking about? He's talking about the man or the woman that he was once engaged with, in a sense. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. Now, this sounds scary. Right? says, so more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Okay? So you can look at that and go, oh, that's really scary. Okay? But it's not. Right? It's not that scary because, because there's a key in this whole, 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 whole thing that Jesus is teaching. Now, the demon was able to get in. Right? Again, with seven other of his friends. Okay? But why? Okay? Because when he came back. They find the house, again, what? Swept, put in order, but the key word is empty. There ain't nothing in there. It got to... It, it, the, the, the unclean spirit got removed, but the person never put something back in the house. Right? Don't we usually put furniture in the house? Don't we kind of make it look lived in? Well, it's saying that it came and looked and said, hey, there ain't nothing in the house. or nothing there. But... That reference then is talking about the fact that we got to put God's word in the house, right? So that you're not empty. So if you're dealing with an issue in your life, you're saved, but you're dealing with an issue in your life. And you know what? Someone prays for you or, or man, Jesus comes and boom, like that, takes care of it. Right, and that 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 spirit, that that unclean spirit that we used to drive you, um, like like for an example, I'll give you an excellent example for me, I think, anyways, was um, so man, for me personally, uh, at growing up in high school and um, beyond high school before, you know, I was all wrestling with my calling and didn't want to do it and all that, but really, I felt like man, at one point, man. W- I had like, I don't know if this is even a word or it can be true, but I I think I had like an weekend unclean spirit of alcohol in me because man, those weekends was like party, right? Let's go do it. And so Friday night, Saturday night, I mean, I, that was my, that was my jam, Right? I was, man, I this is what I did. And, I man, I, there was, like, you get to, like, Thursday, and all of a sudden, you start craving it. And you start thinking about it. How can I, wow, well, well, you know, whatever. And, man, I, you know, like, um, for example, I had a fake ID at one point. What? Yeah, I had a fake ID. And I would go to use it. And, you know, and, and back then, I was a lot, like, I was about, like, how I am now. But then I started, because um, I wanted to be a chef. And so I started cooking. I'm telling you this story, and it's probably irrelevant. And you're, like, why are you telling me? Anyways, so I would go and use this fake idea. And this guy was super skinny, right? And his last name was Mermelstein. I didn't know how to spell it, right? But man, anyways, I used it anyways, right? And I remember one lady looking at me and go, wow, you gained a lot of weight because I was bigger because I was eating my food and all that stuff. Um, So I'm slowly sidetracking. But anyways, so I I believe that I had this thing on me. Anyways, uh, there was a point in my life, When I, you know, I would go to church on Sunday. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I I didn't mean to get drunk. I didn't mean to do this. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, please forgive me. It was a routine, right? And so finally, at one point in my life, it was like, no, I've got to cut this off. I cannot be bound by this alcohol thing in my life. When I finally decided, okay, Jesus, I'll give you everything and I will go to Bible college. I'll speak when I don't want to speak and all that stuff, right? So I knew it. But so I spent some time in prayer. And I'm telling you this, I I am not lying at all. Somewhere, I believe Jesus came in and he took care of that unclean spirit in my life. And man, I have no like hunger or desire to to drink after that moment. Because he took But key thing is, I started filling it with something. I started filling it with God's word, who God said I was, how, how, you know, how victorious I am in every situation and all those things. But see, that's, that's the thing we've got to realize and recognize that, you know what? We've got to fill our house constantly. We've got to fill it constantly. And you know what? He's ruthless, right? He'll bring in all kinds of things. He'll try to get that opportunity back into your life. Right? He'll try by temptation, harassment, by any necessary means. Right? Because he wants to re-enter. But see, we have an ability to, to put our house in order so that it's filled with God's word. We've got to make sure that there are no empty spaces in our house. Right? I mean, sometimes we have rooms that just collect clutter or whatever or, or don't have anything at all. But we've got to be able to look at it and say, you know what? I gotta fill my house. I gotta fill the rooms in my brain. I gotta fill the rooms of of who I am in Christ. I gotta fill the rooms of, of security, of 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 my my ability to, to walk in victory. I gotta fill all those rooms with God's word so that He has no way of getting back into my life to put me back in bondage. But it's so important. And here's the deal. Two, demons can't steal God's word from you. They can't. What they'll try to do though, okay? They'll try to confuse you about it. They'll try, ah, I didn't really mean that. Oh, I, don't, I don't quite understand that. Ah, uh, yeah, but that, that man, that's really bold. That's really bold of you to say that God would do that for you. Okay, so they'll try to bring confusion and, and they'll try to challenge you just so that, man, all of a sudden you start walking it down. Yeah, I don't really know if God's words for me or he really means that for me or God's really real. I'm not 100% sure. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? When all along, the Bible has to be truth and it's got to be true. So then that, that's when you've got to be able to fight back, okay? So, we don't want any open spaces, any any empty spaces. We got to get our word level up. The second thing is, right, is demons are vicious. Demons are vicious. If you think about it, Satan has never had a merciful moment. He never has. Back in Habakkuk, it says this. They, or or the, the, the Chaldeans, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Let me flip my page here. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They um, all come for violence. Their faces are like the east wind. They gather captives like the sand. Now remember, Chaldeans are, have those characteristics that we're talking about, these, these unclean spirits. Okay. Now there's a lot of descriptive words in there, but I want to take a look at one of them. And that is evening wolves. Now, evening wolves, I've read, are fiercer and more ravenous than they are in the morning. You know, one of them said that they're nocturnal. They, they kind of hunt at night. Okay? But the reason why is because they're, they're, they get more infuriated by the day of hunger. So by God's description of these Chaldeans, he, he's, he's talking through, through the prophet Habakkuk that, they, that, that demons are vicious. Think about it. evening wolves, right? When they go to eat, they don't like, you know, just take a little tiny bite Oh, that was so tasty. No, man, they're on it and they're going at it. And they're chewing. I mean, look at National Geographic and, you know, look up wolves. When they start, I mean, they're, they're ravaging. When, when we were in Africa uh, visiting um, uh, my Heather's sister-in-law and we went on safari, we, we saw these uh, hyenas that were totally going after a, um, a zebra. And man, these, these vicious vicious. It was, it was crazy. Um, and here, here's a couple more scriptures real quick of, of how the scriptures describe the enemy like wolves. Ezekiel twenty two twenty seven says, her princess in, in her midst are, um, I'm sorry, her prince, princes in the midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people and to get, and to dishonest, to get dishonest gain. Zephaniah says, um, her prince's Prince, Prince is, gosh, man, I'm just messing it up. In her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. Notice that word again. That leave no bone till morning, right? They're just ravaging all of these things. And so, you know, one of the things is about wolves, like I said, they're nocturnal. So they hunt at night, right? And a lot of times, you know what? I don't know about you, but at night is sometimes when I feel the most pressure from the enemy trying to attack my mind about certain things, even sometimes causing me not to sleep. You ever had that before? Or man, it's just something. And you're just like, oh, my God. But see, it's kind of an example of the wolves, right? They don't go out and hunt until the night. Then what happens is that the, 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 these unclean spirits, they're looking for avenues and moments. And sometimes at night, we're kind of maybe in our weakest moment. To where they attack. And then either that causes us not to sleep. Or man, we get in fear. We get in panic. We get in anxiety. So I've learned the best thing to do is pick up your Bible. Start to read your Bible. Start to pray. And worship. Right? So even if that means you got to get out of your bedroom and not wake up your spouse. And get into somewhere else. And just put like a worship thing on. And just say, you know what? You're going to disrupt my sleep. Well, you know what? I'm going to start worshiping the Lord. Right? Watch them flee. Man, they'll, they'll take off. They'll, they'll, they'll say, yeah, we're out of here. We're, we're totally out of here, okay? So we have to understand that we can't, you know, entertain those things at night. But we've got to be able to step up and begin to pray, seek, seek the Lord. Acts 20, 29 says this about um, wolves. So another picture. This is Paul talking. He says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So what Paul's trying to do is basically say these, he's not talking about literal wolves that are going to come in and start ripping up the believers. But what he's talking about is demonic spirits that are going to come into the sheepfold as false teachers that are teaching false doctrine. That's what he's talking about. Okay. But what are they looking to do? They're looking to devour God's people to get them away from the truth of God's word. Okay. That's important. You got to realize every single time that you're encountering something Right, this this demonic spirit, this unclean spirit, whatever it is, it's always trying to get you away from God's word, always trying to get you away from God. All right, a couple of, just a couple other quick things, real quick, about wolves. They're smart creatures, and they can give the appearance of, of being docile, right? Kind of from a distance, and what they do, this is kind of their strategy. What they do is they watch. And they study your movements, right? So that they can move in for the attack. So they may be just kind of watching, but they're studying and watching what you do. How do how, what, what is that, you know, how do they function? What, what's that animal function like? Okay. And then what they do is they look for the times that the prey is at its weakest or in isolated moments, right? Because they usually attack, like for an example, if you're talking about sheep, they usually attack sheep that are kind of on the outskirts of the the shepherd, right? The sheep that are isolated from the shepherd. And so if you find yourself that way, right, then maybe, you know what, you may need to take a look and say, man, you know what, I need to get back into the sheepfold, right? I need to find myself closer to the shepherd. And there's a couple ways you do that. One is you spend more time with Jesus, you spend more time with God, right? And then two, you, you get yourself in some, some, some church and get in community groups, right? That's why we got community groups, so we're not, you know, separated. Get yourself in a community group, you know, come to church, not out of duty, but come to church, man, volunteer, Do some things in order to keep yourself outside so you're not out on the fringe and isolated. Because isolation is when he attacks, right? Because you're vulnerable. So don't isolate yourself, okay? That's why in Hebrews it says this. This is in the um, American uh, or the, well, amplified version, right? It's the classic version. It says this. And let us consider and give attention Continuous care to watching over one another. Now, he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to the body of Christ. Again, he says, And let us consider and give attention, continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we may stir up, stimulate, and entice to love and and helpful deeds and noble activities. says, 25. Not forsaking or neglecting to assemble together as believers, um, as is the habit of some people, but admonishing. Now, look at these words. Warning, right? So sometimes, man, you got to, hey, you got to get your act together. You know what? The thing that frustrates me sometimes is, you know what? And this is just me personally. And maybe I even sometimes struggle with it too. But you know what? The Bible says iron sharpens Iron. Right? What that means is, you know what, there's times that you know what other believers are going to speak into your life and it might sh- have to sharpen you. It might cut like a thing. But you know what? It's because they want you to grow. They want you to be who God's called them to be. But it says warning, urging, and encouraging one another, and all the more faithful as you see the day approaching. Right? What's that day? When Jesus comes back. Right? I mean, what a tactic of the enemy to come and create something like COVID to keep people scattered, to keep people isolated, right? Not doing anything that this says in Hebrews, but man, hey, yeah, no, we're folk. And I'm not, I'm not those who want to stay home and, and, and that I'm not saying that's bad or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, can you just recognize a tactic that the enemy has? And he's saying, if I can isolate enough Christians, then you know what? The body of Christ ain't going to do what it's supposed to do. But if the, the body of Christ says, yeah, no, 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 not, not, you know, not today. Not today, Satan. Right? Do you remember that Carmen song? There was a, there was a song called Car, uh, from Carmen. It said, uh, Satan, bite the dust. Right? I mean, I love that song. Like, especially in kids' ministry, you're like, oh, yeah, we got to play this video. It's awesome. Right? But it was Satan, bite the dust. Right? But we've got to be as a church to rise up awake and say, hey, no, 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 no. I am going not to forsake the assembling of my brethren, whether that's watching on video or, or coming to a live. You know what? I'm going to look and I'm going to study and I'm going to see how I can encourage you and lift you up and cause you to, to grow and be all that God's called you to be. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a body. Right? Not, not, not the one-man show or the isolation and all that stuff. But we got to be able to do that. Okay, let me get me to the very last point, and I'm going to end it up. I know I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time here. Uh, the last point is demons are cunning. Demons are cunning. Now, the word cunning is someone who is skilled in cleverness and deceit. Who use that skill in order to get something by using whatever deceitful and underhanded means available. Okay. So demons are cunning. Another picture. The Chaldeans were cunning. Now, check this out. The first Chaldean who ruled Babylon went in as a friend, not as a warrior. And what he did is he won the people over. Right? He, he kind of just won them over. He became their friend and they accepted him. And what happened is he took over. He became king. Now, the funny thing about that is the Assyrians, right, who, who were over Babylon, they would just appoint kings. Like, they didn't really think about who was who or whatever, and they would just appoint whoever's gonna run that section, and it's all good. Well, finally, they found out after about, um, I think it, I put down, after 10 years, they finally found out hey, wait a minute, this guy's a Chaldean. This guy is not one of ours. And look at the things that he's trying to do and, and trying to manipulate. He was cunning, he didn't come in as a warrior. He didn't come in guns a blazing, but he subtly came into the group and found himself in there, right? And then next thing you know, man, people were tied to that. Oh yeah, right? But see, isn't that how sometimes the enemy does that? And then it says that he came back and he conquered both Babylon and Assyria. But see, demons are the same way. They're very subtle, right? In their approach. They kind of cozy up to you. They try to distract you. They try to deceive you, right, out of God's future for you. Man, because it feels good. Let me read this one, one passage in the back. It says, um, they, the Chaldeans, this is verse 15. It says, they take up all of them, okay? Now, verse 14 is talking about fishing, like they, they, about how many like fishing, right? Some of you are like, yeah, awesome, okay, right? So, it's kind of had this thing about the people were fish. Right, but this is what it says: take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and they gather them in their dragnet. Okay, now when you fish, you usually bait the hook so the hook can't be seen. Right? I mean, if you're good. Now I'm a lousy fisherman. I hate fishermen. I hate. I hate fish fishing. I don't hate fishermen. You know what I mean? I hate fishing. That is the most. There's nothing. No scale. That I can even judge—it's like down to zero, no matter what, right? But 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 maybe I just never really knew how to bait the hook correctly, so that that there's a deception to the fish. Oh, it's a worm! Oh yeah, and it's a big worm! Oh my gosh! Yeah, right. And then what happens? They bite it. Woo! Hook, man! I got you. Got some dinner, right? But see, he's talking about the same thing with these Chaldeans. They, were, they basically were kind of doing the same thing. They're very cunning, deceptive. And it's just trying to get us to the point where, you know what? The enemy does the same thing to us. He's looking. He's studying. Right? To try to figure out ways to do it. And another thing is, I heard, not that I know, but I've heard that also you kind of want to make sure that you, you know, you find out what the fish are biting on. Right? Because if you put in a cricket and they ain't biting on crickets, they ain't going to bite. Maybe that's my problem too. Right? Because I hate the, the, just, just the tediousness of waiting for someone to bite my thing. It drives me nuts. I have all the patience in the world. But when it comes to fishing, no, you better bite my hook now. And, you know, that's it. I just can't. Man, I am like anxiety, just my mind blown. But we have to understand but that that's, that's their trick. But what's great, great news is this, right? Is that God hasn't left us empty-handed. He says this in Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God. He's given you armor. He's given you equipment. He's given you everything. And it says this, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, right? And that word wiles is the Greek word uh, methodia, And it's where we get our, our English language, the word Method. So you could translate it kind of that you may be able to stand against the methods, the schemes, the plots of the enemy. And this is what demons do. They plot against you, right? They plot against me. And sometimes they use the same method over and over again until you finally put an end to it. Right? Because, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've got some things in your life, I mean, it's the same thing over and over again. And you're like, why do I keep just falling into this trap? Why do I keep getting hooked? Right? But it's the same method. Yet, we're just like, uh, you know, kind of like those fish. When we, when we need to be the shark. And then say, I ain't taking that. I'm not taking that bait again. No way. I'm standing up against this. Right? And... We got to get away from the self-prescribed weaknesses, right? Somehow we've given ourselves an MD. I'm prescribing that I got a weakness and I can't get over this weakness. No, you can get over the weakness. Stop making excuses, okay? But they're cunning enough to keep you in that mindset. They're cunning enough to keep you struggling in this bondage. And so we've got to understand that, you know what? The Bible says again that, um, you know, he goes about, As a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, we've got to be undevourable, right? And this lion, why don't lions roar really loud? They can be heard over five miles away. But a lot of times a lion's roar, roar will paralyze the prey. I mean, just totally make them like stop in their tracks or make them scared enough that they'll run into The area where the other lions are, and then the rest is history. So a lot of times the enemy comes and he roars in our life, right? And you can break that down to the point of even him just bringing accusations against you. You're not good enough. God doesn't love you. And if we allow those roars to scare us, to paralyze us, then we've fallen right into the trap. We've fallen into the trap. And see, Jesus doesn't want us to fall into the trap. I'm going to give just this real quick scripture. I'm I promise we're done right here, okay? But our goal is not to be devourable. But here's the last scripture, right? Because there's no reason to be afraid at all because of this scripture. Revel- Revelation chapter five verse five it says the lion of the tribe of Judah, that's Jesus himself, has prevailed. Man, if you keep running back to him, if you keep your heart right and keep just, you know, pushing back to him, he's won. He's already got the victory. And really, he's already given you the victory. You just got to stand up for it. You just got to say, oh, man, and I've got, look, I got a victory belt, right? You can get one of those WWE championship belts or whatever. Walk around. And anytime the enemy comes and go, oh, yeah, look at this belt I got on. I got victory through Jesus, Right? But see, oftentimes we, we, we forget our belts and we kind of let him run roughshod and we open doors. We have cracks in our life that allows the enemy to come in. But, we want that, but our goal is through this series to help you overcome those things, to walk in freedom that Jesus wants you to walk in. Do me a favor, bow your heads. Lord Jesus, you are so good. You are so, 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 so good. We thank you for the truth of God's word this morning. Lord, I don't know where any of us are, where we find ourselves are, whatever has been spoken, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you would just begin to minister to the hearts of every individual that hears it in this, in this house, that might hear it through podcasts, that might, might just be able to, 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 to receive what, what was said. Holy Spirit, work in our lives, work in our hearts. Begin to, to kind of unpack all of this stuff that maybe we can identify when it comes to a bondage in our life, something that holds us down to being from being all that you've called us to be. And, and do it personally. Do it, do it in your love and your grace. Because, Lord, I know for a fact that you really want us to be free and you want us to stay free. And so I thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Before we close, if there's anybody in the house today that would say, yeah, I, I don't know Jesus and I, I want to give my life to him today, this would be the greatest moment to do it. And as always, we're not going to embarrass you or anything like that with everybody's head bowed, every eyes closed. All you got to do is slip up your hand, put it back down, and then this whole congregation will pray the same prayer with you. And we want to see people come to the kingdom. We want to see people come to Jesus. So I'm going to give you a quick opportunity to come on down. I'm sorry, to raise your hand if you want. If you you want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior for the first time. Or even maybe rededicate your life to the Lord. You can do that too today. Again, Father, we love you.